0: Let's pray Father we do thank you for this day And thank you for the the new things you have for us this day And we pray that you would use Sheila this morning To lead us into those new things that you have already planned for us And we ask Lord that you bless her, that you anoint her that she can speak your words. And Lord, that we would hear and we would respond. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> it's no use. It's going to have to go around there. <laughs> I don't need that one, do I? That's good then. That chorus that we sang, it is surely sufficient for me was something that a friend of mine found out a few years ago now. I have mentioned it before, but I'm going to say it again because it's important. This friend had done something which she considered to be just beyond the pale. And she could not forgive herself for it. And she kept going to the Lord with it, and she kept repenting of it, and she could not she couldn't get over the seriousness of what she felt she had done and what actually what she had done. But it was really getting her down and she went to bed and one night she went off to bed and she had a dream and she dreamt that the Lord said to her, why are you so down about this? My blood was shed for you to cleanse that particular sin, no matter how bad you thought it was. And he says, if the blood of Christ is sufficient for me, why is it not sufficient for you? And I think a lot of people are walking around feeling guilty about what they have done, etc. and not realising That the blood of Christ, when these things have been repented of and forgiven and cleansed, the blood of Christ covers. And the blood of Christ is sufficient for God. Therefore, we must by faith accept it as being sufficient for me, or sufficient for you. Anyway. Right. So... Welcome back. Welcome back to the banquet of spiritual riches that the Lord has presented to us, that has been set out before us. And we're going to read Romans 6 again. This time we're going to read Romans 6, verse 12 to 23. Romans 6, verse 12 to 23. Therefore, Do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, So now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So what advantage did you then get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we've been looking at this banquet that the Lord has set before us. The first provision that the Lord put on that table set before us was that we have been redeemed. That the penalty for our sin has been paid. The price has been paid. The second one was that we have been justified. When we were justified and God looked on us, it was just as if I'd never sinned. My standing before God is secure. The third provision was that we were justified, but we were justified and given new life. New life for all that we might live this life that Jesus wants us to live. And the fourth one that we looked at yesterday was that our old self had been crucified with Christ. So that is the position we find ourselves in with Christ that we died with Him, that the old self in us has been crucified with Christ. The problem with this old self is it keeps emerging. It keeps popping up from its hiding place deep inside us. And when it emerges, it causes chaos in our lives. And that's because the old self is the source of sin in our life. When the old self causes chaos, then we fall into temptation. Well, then we are tempted And we fall into temptation and then we sin. Now, in faith, we put that old self back on the cross. But what about the sin we're left with? What about the effects of that sin on our lives? Has God made any provision for that? You see, our standing before the Lord is secure. But what about our state? our state is incredibly variable. We can go to feeling quite good, but we can also go deep down into the troughs of despair because of what we have done, or because of what we have done again and again and again, and it accuses us and makes us feel failures. So has the Lord provided any way of dealing with that? What can be done about our need for forgiveness? What can be done about our need for feeling clean again? What can be done about our need for a guilt-free conscience? And what can be done about our need for the power to be able to live a different life? What is the solution to this problem of sin? What can make me clean again you know if we're dirty we have to have a wash we go and we get some soap and we wash ourselves clean what is the spiritual equivalent to that is there a spiritual equivalent to that well you know i'd like just to share a little bit of a testimony here um, just about a sin that uh, dogged me for ages and that sin was jealousy. I was jealous of all, thought, of all sorts of things. And I, I kept repenting of it, but somehow I couldn't stop myself. This, this thing kept ruining its ugly head. You know, I'd be fine for a few months or something, and then all of a sudden it would come back again. And I tried all sorts of things. I, tra- I thought about human nature... It's causing me so much misery. I thought, is this all there is into the Christian life? The Lord promises victory. Where is the victory for me in that particular sin? So I'll try harder next time. I'll try very hard not to be jealous, but you know, it bubbles up inside you. And even if it doesn't come out, the tone of voice changes. People know, they know that there's a problem. And by golly, I know there's a problem. So then you think, well, I'll brush it under the carpet. I'll try and forget about it. I'll pretend it never happened. But it's always, always lurking there in the background. And I know, I, I always knew, that one, you know, it would keep and recur. And my big problem was that these things that I tried to do, like try harder next time or just pretend it had never happened, didn't solve it. It just didn't get rid of that thing inside me. And I once gave an illustration to, um, to some young people here about our shower. Now, we used to live in a very hard area, hard water area. And the shower got very dirty. And you know what it's like when the shower gets dirty and you get scum on it and, and then the mold grows. And I could find absolutely nothing that would clean this perishing shower. I even got the scour out to it and that didn't make any difference at all. And I tried so many things. But then one day I went to the supermarket and I bought this product And I took it home and I sprayed it on the shower and I left it there and I wiped the shower and it's all gone. I couldn't believe it. Why had I not found this product that dealt with that, the scum that was left on the shower, why had I not found it before? And we can be like that, you know, with our Christian lives and with, with sin in our Christian lives. So we need to find out What does the Bible say about dealing with sin? Well, the first thing it says is that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, in the Old Testament times, God had provided a way for the Israelites to deal with sin, to deal with when they broken with God's law. And they had to take a lamb, and they had to take it to the priest. And it had to be sacrificed. And the blood was shed. And the blood was offered to God. And the sins were forgiven. See, the blood had to be shed because the Lord said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So, if we move on to John the Baptist, John the Baptist when he first met Jesus, he looked at Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was such a significant moment in John's life because John knew. He knew what the Lamb of God meant. He knew that these lambs were sacrificed and they, took, they dealt with the sin But he also saw when Jesus came that here was the Lamb of God who was going to deal with the sins of the world, all the sins of the world. That Lamb in the Old Testament was just a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus, our Lamb of God. Jesus died for us. He died on the cross. He shed his blood for us. And we don't have to come back time and time and time again like they did in the Old Testament. It happened once. We don't have to to sacrifice our lamb more than the once because Jesus died. But we do have to come back with our sin when our sin emerges in our life. We have to take it to Jesus and the cross for it to be forgiven. And it's an ongoing thing. I've known this way of walking for 45 years now. And sin is still a presence in my life. I've still got to repent of it. I've still got to be forgiven and cleansed. Because sin is going to be with me until I get to heaven, when it will be removed. But you know, sometimes, sometimes the sin we confess is just a symptom of another sin. Lurking deeper under the surface. And this was what I found with my jealousy. I was confessing the sin of jealousy and I kept on doing it. The problem was that the real sin, the source of the the jealousy, was lurking deep down inside me. So I kept confessing it, but it kept recurring until one day... The Lord showed me that the real problem underneath all that was that I was not willing to submit to God. I was not willing to give control over certain parts of my life to God. And there are still parts of my life that I'm sure I've not given over to Him. But you see, that was the deeper sin underneath. And with me, it showed in jealousy. But it can show in all sorts of ways in our lives. We have to go deeper than what's on the surface. And do you know what? I repented of not having let God have control of that. And jealousy has not been the problem it was. Because it was just the evidence of this deeper sin. And it's never, ever easy, is it, to bow the stiff neck of mine or yours... And to confess, it's not easy for me to confess my sin. But do you know what? Over the years, I've learnt that if you harbour sin in your life, you'll lose your peace with God. If you harbour sin in your life, your heart will be hardened. And you will not be content until you have taken it to God. It pays to get right with God As soon as possible. So our responsibility is to come to the Lord and confess sin. But you know, once it's been forgiven, then the Lord, once it's been confessed, the Lord takes over and the Lord forgives and the Lord is faithful and he will forgive because that's what he says in his word. He says he will forgive. So that's what's going to happen, but we have to come to the Lord with it. Let me just read. I haven't got it, yet, a thing in it. One John one verse. One John one verses seven to nine. If we walk in the light, to see Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So, you know, it's a tiny little word, that word, if. But by golly, I was saying yesterday, it has big consequences. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will cleanse us. But the opposite says, if not, if we do not confess our sins, they can't be cleansed. They have to be brought to him to be cleansed and forgiven. Right, where are we? So it's a joy. It's a joy for us to feel forgiven. It's a joy for us to know that we're forgiven. And it's a joy for us to know that our burdens are lifted. And that is another provision that we have for our walk day by day. But, you know, sin can be forgiven, but it can have a hold on us for years. It can maybe have a hold on us for all our life because of the the stain of sin the stain that sin can leave behind it doesn't always but the stain that it can leave behind lurks deep down in our subconscious mind the mind of our old self and do you know what it can unknowingly affect our whole life for years it can stop us being effective for Jesus because this stain is holding us back. And it is possible for us to know we're forgiven, but for that sin still to play on our minds and to come back and haunt us throughout our lives. And why is that? (coughs) It's because our conscience makes us feel guilty. And do you know what? It even condemns us over things we haven't done, but feel we should have done. Conscience is a funny thing. It's the part of us that judges how moral our own actions are. And do you know what it does? It makes you feel guilty about the bad things you've done or the things you feel responsible for, the things you think you should have done. And this stain that needs sorting out is on our conscience. Now, the passage of time cannot remove that stain. I came across Kieran the other day... ...going with the dirty pots... Into the, um, ...into the wash place. And these pots had had the food on. I don't know what they'd been having... ...but you could see the food still on the pots. That he was taking them to clean them. Now, it's very important... ...that the dirt from the food is washed off the plates. Very important. Because if it's not washed off the plates... This stain will stay forever. If I've left dirty washing, dirty um, pots at home, when I get back, that stain won't have gone off the pots. It'll be crusty and hard and very difficult to get off. So we have to come to the Lord, and these stains have to be cleansed. And that was one of the things we read in 1 John 7, wasn't it? That the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin it's not just being forgiven it's being cleansed so we need cleaning because that sin stays in us you know it's there when you start thinking oh if only I'd done that or perhaps I should have done it differently and you're harking back to something that happened years ago long buried guilt rears its ugly head once more it needs cleansing. And do you know what? It's a weak point. It's a weak point in our life where Satan can get at us. Because he knows it's still there. We might not be aware of it, but Satan knows and he will niggle away at it. Now, this stain of sin doesn't necessarily need forgiveness, but as we said, it does need cleansing. And it tells us that the blood of Jesus cleanses all sin. All sin. And that's all the sin that, w- that we do, that we commit. So sins are just an outward man- manifestation of what's going on inside us. It might be an action we do or an action we don't do. It might be a reaction to something. It might be an attitude that we've got that is wrong. But these things can be cleansed by the blood. and We need to know that as we walk, because that stain that's in there needs needs to be removed if our walk is going to be effective. Hebrews 9 verse 14 tells us, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from dead works to worship the living God. It purifies our consciences. We can't do that, but the blood of Christ can. And, if we turn over to 10, it says, Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with clean water. We can approach boldly the throne because the blood of Jesus has not only forgiven our sins, it has cleansed our conscience so once more our sinful actions have been forgiven and cleansed but our inner self has been cleansed and our state which had got dirty is once more clean in God's sight and do you know what the blood has another function Revelation says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, Now have come the salvation and the power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our comrades has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. But they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. For they did not cling to life even in the face of death. What does it say about we can defeat Satan? They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Because Jesus shed his blood, we have the power to conquer Satan in our lives. Now, I've just read to you about Satan being the accuser The accuser of the brethren. And you know, he does a very effective job. He's very good at accusing the brethren because he knows what we're all like and he puts his finger on the little bits that are going to work in us. He presses the right buttons for each one of us. He winds us up. He winds us up about our sin and he makes us feel that we can't be forgiven. But, you know, his power lies in his ability to make us feel guilty. He's accusing us. He's making us feel failures. He's making us feel guilty about the things we have or the things we have not done. And do you know what else he does? He tries to stop us from understanding what Jesus did for us on the cross. As we read in Colossians 2.15, Jesus cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, it says, he disarmed the principalities and the powers, made a public spectacle of them, tri- triumphing over them on the cross. Jesus took our sins to the cross. He nailed them to the cross for all to see and to see that, the way that they were forgiven, that he'd cancelled that record of sins. And you know, that's what Satan plays on. He plays on that record of sins. But Jesus cancelled that record of sins. There's no record of sin. It's been repented of, it's been forgiven, it's been cleansed. Satan has nothing left to accuse us of. So when Christ died for my sin, Satan was disarmed. He was rendered powerless. Because when he comes and accuses me of sin, I can turn to Jesus. And I can say to Satan, yes, I am guilty of those sins. Because I can't avoid it, I was. But I can also point out to Satan that Jesus died on the cross, that he took my punishment for sin. And I can tell him, you've got no right to accuse me. You have no grounds to accuse me because that's been dealt with on the cross. And Satan hasn't got a leg to stand on. He is disarmed and he must flee. But only because we can tell him our sins have been dealt with. But you know, Satan's a bully, a real bully. He knows he's got a limited time left, and one day he's going to be totally defeated. But for now, for now, he is still roaming the earth. He's trying to keep that control over us that he's had for so long. So he tries very hard to keep people in the dark about what Jesus has done for them. And he tries to keep Christians in the dark. He tries to keep Christians away from the cross. Because that is the only place where we're going to find victory. That's the only place where our sins can be forgiven. Where we will find forgiveness. It's the only place that we have been given new life. And that we can walk on in victory. But it's at the cross that this happens. So he tries to make us doubt that what God says about coming to the cross and all his promises is not true. Do you know what? So often he succeeds when he comes. And do you know, he doesn't want us to believe that we can resist him. And in one sense he's right, because if we try doing it in our own strength, we stand no chance. But because... Of what Jesus did on the cross We can turn to him And we can tell him to get lost But we do have to make sure That there is no revealed sin In our lives first And if we stand against him He must flee I remember hearing a story I think it was from this platform A few years ago It was about a young lad And this young lad, who's called Peter, he was the adopted son of a king. This king had a much-loved pet duck. Much-loved pet duck. And he really didn't want anything to happen to this pet duck. But one day, Peter was out playing, and he accidentally managed to kill this pet duck. He was distraught absolutely distraught. He didn't want to go and tell the king about his pet duck because he didn't know what the king would do. Would the king be annoyed with him? Would the king take a big stick to him and beat him? Would the king reject him? Would the king love him in any way, shape or form if he told him what had happened? So he decided he wouldn't tell the king. But the cook saw it all. He saw what happened. And he thought, this is my chance to get somebody to do the dishes for me. So he started to blackmail Peter. And he said, if you do the dishes for me, I saw what happened. If you do the dishes for me, I won't tell the king. So Peter did the dishes. And this happened for oh, quite a while. And in the end, Peter was getting really fed up of doing these dishes. It was all too much for him. So he went back. He, he'd had enough. And he thought, I'm going to overcome my guilt and fear. Because I'm fed up of doing this menial task every day. And I'm fed up of this, this cook. And dominion over me, really, controlling me. So he overcame his fear and he overcame his guilt and he went to the king and he told him what he'd done. And the king said, I already knew. I knew what you had done, but I was waiting for you to come and tell me. And do you know, from that moment on, the cook lost his power over Peter could no longer hold that against him because Peter had been to the king and confessed. And you know what? That's what the devil tries to do with us. He tries to blackmail us. He works on our conscience. He stops us from going to Jesus. He says, will he forgive you? Surely he'll reject you because of what you've done. Will he still love you? I don't know. If I was him, he says I'd bring a big you know big stick to you and punish you for what you've done. And that's what Satan tries to make us think. He reminds us of our sin and he makes us think that God won't love us. But you know, we are God's adopted sons. He loves us no matter what. But it's down to us. To overcome our guilt and our fear and to go to Jesus with our sin. Jesus knows what we've done. It's us that won't tell him. And when we do, what a relief. Just like the relief for Peter, it's a relief because we are set free from the dominion of that sin and we are set free from the power that Satan has over us. You see, when we talk about God's provision for sin on the cross, it is important for us to know that that is the place where sin was dealt with so that Satan has been overcome in our lives. So if we go back to Romans, we'll find it also says in there words like, we are no longer enslaved to sin. Sin no longer has dominion over us. We've been set free from sin. But how can this be? How can this be when we know that sin is still in us, when we know that sin is still active, and when so often we don't have a choice about it? Sin just arrives. Well, you know, the key is that we're no longer slaves. A slave is someone who has absolutely no control over his own life. He has no say whatsoever in what he does. He must obey his master. So, who are we enslaved to? Well, do you know what? That depends on what you have done with Jesus. If you have accepted Jesus into your life, you've trusted Jesus as Saviour, then you are, if you have not trusted Jesus as Saviour, then you are a slave to sin. And the old self is still in complete control of your life. Everything you do will be to please that self, and it will show itself so often in sin. However, if you have trusted Jesus as your Saviour, you've got new life. Now you want to do God's will. Now you've got an option. Now you've got the option either to please self or to please your new Master, Jesus. You are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave because you have the choice. You have the choice. So you've got the option to choose. Are you going to choose to follow Jesus? And that Bible calls that living according to the Spirit? Or are you going to do your own thing? Are you live, going to live according to yourself? We're under new, mani- we're under new ownership now. But the problem in our lives lies in the management. You might be under new ownership, but who is managing your life? Is it self who's managing your life, or is it the spirit who's managing your life? Because both those forces are inside us, vying to be in charge. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, Who's in charge in my life? Which way am I going to go in this decision or that decision or just the way I live? Is it the Holy Spirit who's there on the throne in my life or is it self on the throne in my life? Am I doing what I want to do or am I letting Jesus live through me? So we find ourselves in a completely new situation. Because we're beginning the process now of being saved from the power of sin. We were saved from the penalty of sin when Jesus died on the cross. But in our life, we are being saved from the power of sin. And it's an ongoing process. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Sin no longer has dominion over me. How is that possible? Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Because as Christians, we're sensitive to sin in our life. We never were before. But we know, we know that when the the Spirit points sin out, we can take it to the cross. It can be confessed and repented. It can be forgiven. It can be cleansed. And we also know that the power of sin to condemn us has been removed because Jesus cleansed the conscience and Satan has no grounds on which to accuse us. But the other thing we know is the old life is still fighting. It's been crucified with Jesus, but we need to make sure it stays crucified by taking it there, back there, when it rears its ugly head. But, you know, it's also important that we take our part in it. Because in Romans, let's have a look. Oh, it says, No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Our part in it is to present ourselves to God. Present ourselves to God. Offer ourselves to God for what he wants. Be willing to put the old self back on the cross when it arrives. You know, it sounds so easy, doesn't it? But it can be so difficult to do this. You know, it... It's okay offering yourself to God when God wants you to do something you want to do. It's not so easy to offer yourself to God when he's asking you to do something you don't want to do. Then the battle becomes a bit more intense. But if it means surrendering control of your life to God, oh, it can be like nuclear war. So, you know, we like control. We like control. But the Bible says, offer yourselves to God. Let him do with you what he wants to do. We have to set our will to go God's way. Because, you know, that's an important thing. If we set our will to go God's way and we go that way, our feelings will fall into place but we have to set our will to go that way. So, do we want to walk according to the Holy Spirit, or do we want to walk according to self? The decision is ours to make. It is your decision, it is my decision. My decision alone, which way do I go? But I know that because of God's provision for us on the cross, we are no longer slaves to sin. Sin no longer has dominion in us and we can walk in victory over sin. But to do so, we've got to accept those provisions that God has made and we've got to partake of them as necessary in our work with God. The question is, are we prepared to do so? Because it does mean losing control of our life and handing it to him in many different ways are you prepared to do that and tomorrow we go on to seeing what the Holy Spirit does in our lives and how he points us to the cross right right